Yeah, I noticed it even said in, the, in here, Ben Carter. So who's that guy? Hey, hey. Wow, it is, it is great to be here. A bit, a re, a bit surreal. You know, I'm, part, I'm part of the X29 network, obviously, and I've been in X29 for a number of years. One of the things I absolutely love about being part of the X29, especially because like, we're the only X29 church in Sweden, is immediately you're connected with, with other Christians who have the same heartbeat all over the world. It's fantastic. We travel, I don't know how many thousands of miles we, we flew, 30 hours on an airplane. And last night, I was sat in a room with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Completely different backgrounds, completely different stories, um, saved from different situations, different life experiences, different cultures. But when we were talking about the gospel, we had everything in common. And it was a real, a real joy. It's a great, it's wonderful to be here. So thank you for your invitation. Um, and um, yeah, I look forward to, to sharing with you this morning. So we're going to be looking at um, Acts chapter 2. Um, Acts chapter 2, I think this is the passage you had last week. I'm sorry about that. But it's a good passage. So I'm sure it's going to be okay. Um, and the, the title for today's message is Church Planting for Dummies. Now let me just clarify, that isn't because I think you are dummies. Okay, that's because I think I am a dummy. Genuinely. Like when I first started thinking about church planting, I remember thinking, that's not something I could do. You know, I was someone in ministry. That, that, that's, that just doesn't seem possible for a normal human being to plant a church. And, I'm, and I'm, that, that's not me. So part of my goal is, as we go through, uh, as, we, as we sort of, we're not really going to go into this text in depth, but, but the things are in here. As, as we look at this text and kind of bounce off it to some of the bigger principles in Scripture, it's just to kind of see, um, I want you to see, as you start this journey of church planting, that it's doable. It's doable. And it's exciting. I, I, I don't want to impress you by my great skills. I'd rather you walked away from here going, ah, Ben wasn't impressive. If he can do this thing, so can we. That's, that's, my, that's what I want to do. So it's church planted dummies because, for dummies because I'm a dummy, and I think Justin is a little bit of one too. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> so let, let, let me pray. Let me pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll read the text together. Oh, Father God, we thank you and praise you for the glory of the gospel. This thing that you, the, this message of truth about your love for us in Jesus, that you would send him to save us while we were as far away from you as could be, while we were running in the opposite direction, while we were chasing after sin, you called us by your grace and you, you showed us the cross and you brought us to Jesus. You, you, you lavished upon us your glorious forgiveness in Christ. And more than that, you brought us together into your family. You made us your children from all sorts of backgrounds, all different tribes and nations and tongues, and you made us one people of your very own. Lord, we pray now as we come to your word, as you spend time just thinking about these, these truths, these gospel truths, Lord, I pray that you would be at work in us. Lord, you know what I've prepared? Lord, you know it's so impressive? Pray, Lord, that you, by your spirit, would take what is yours and you would plant it in the hearts of your people 
and you would have your way in us for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to have to be taking a lot of sips of tea, I think, during this. Mm. Okay. So, Acts 2, verse 37 to 47. So, Peter has just preached the gospel, the very first gospel message, um, there in the heart of Jerusalem. And this is what happens. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent <coughs> and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So, let me give you a little bit of a, an introduction to, to me and my family before I kind of jump into this as well. So I'm um, Ben, hello, and I have a wife called Emily who is Swedish. That's the connection. I'm English. We met in London uh, where we were working as evangelists for an organization called London City Mission. And we, we, we met and obviously we fell in love and uh, we got married and we had children and we have four children. Gabriel, who's 13, Noah, who's 11, Josephine, who's six, and Caspian, who's five, and we also have a dog called Sherlock. <laughs> Sherlock Bones, if you really want to know, okay? And, um, and we've been in Sweden for, for four years, and um, uh, we've, we've lived in Sweden as a family for four years, Emily and I have been married for 20, and it's, it took us 16 years before we moved to Sweden to, to go from the Lord's calling us to do something in Sweden, the Lord's calling us to, to maybe plant a church, between, between actually having that call and actually getting there to start the church plant. And the church plant, Kungsjökan, the King's Church in, in Gothenburg, was planted about a year and a half ago. And currently, Kungsjökan is um, 14 members. Um, we've got five new members on the way, God willing. Um, and we are growing slowly. Um, but it's a wonderful little church that I'm really, I really love being a part of, a wonderful little family there in, in, in Sweden. Let me tell you some things about Sweden. Um, Sweden is a country of around 10 million people. Okay? And most people live in the south of Sweden. They, they tend to avoid living in the colder parts at the top. Um, but it, it, it's not too dissimilar. I think the animals are probably bigger here. But there are, there are a fair number of similarities. Gothenburg is, has, is a city of 500,000 people who live in the city. And around a million people in, in, the, in the suburbs. 
And one of the, the big cultural things in Sweden um, is collective individuality. So it's, 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 a, it's a country of individuals, people that, that, are, that have very individualistic lives. And I know, you know that's kind of what we talk about a lot in the West, we all, we're all individuals, right? But Sweden kind of takes that to the next level. Okay, it's like my, my, my home is my fortress. I don't need to, I, I need to know my immediate family and have a small number of friends and I don't need anyone else. Um, I'm not, I don't want to be dependent on anyone else. I don't, my, I don't want to, my children to be dependent on me. I don't want to, I, in my older age, I don't want to be dependent on my children. There's that strong, strong thing about looking after yourself. And maybe there's something there that might sound similar for, for some of you guys here in Alaska, I guess. But then the other side is the collective side where there, there are collective individuals who trust the government and who pay high taxes. So it, it's not that they, they don't care what goes on out, out in the world. They, they, they want to be a, a safe and secure, secure, secure society, but they trust the government to get on with that. And they kind of do that together as individuals. It's a bit, bit hard to kind of get your head around, but that's, that's uh, Sweden as a collective, in, uh, collective of individuals. Um, it's a post-Christian secular country. So if you, if you, if you go on the, the Sweden.se, the Sweden.com website, and you look at religion of the country, and what, that's how they describe themselves. We are a post-Christian -se post secular nation. They literally say, Christianity, that's in the past. We've moved beyond that to something better and freer. That's how Sweden tends to feel about Christianity. And about eight out of 10 Swedes um, would be um, consider themselves irreligious, no interest in religion whatsoever. Um, and if you look at the church statistics for Sweden, you might be, you might be a bit shocked and think it seems, it seems very religious. So I think it's like 50% of the people in Sweden are members of the Church of Sweden, for example. Um, but on any given Sunday, only 1% actually attend church. 1% of the whole population in church on a Sunday. I'll talk a little bit more about it as, as I go through, but it gives you an idea of the context that I'm talking about when I'm talking about planting a church. So when I was thinking about planting in Sweden from London, I would kind of felt like before we move our family there, we really need to spend some time thinking about what are the, the most fundamental principles of planting a church? What are the things that we need to get right in order to plant a church in, 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 a, in, a, in a context like Sweden. And there, there are three things that we, that we kind of boiled things down to that could all be found in this passage. And let me, I'll tell you what they are to start off with, and then we'll work through them. First one is this. It's the gospel that plants churches. It's the gospel that plants churches. The second one is open home. Inviting people in to see how the gospel works out is really important. Open home. And the last one, <coughs> open Bible. Open Bible. The Bible is our best discipleship and evangelistic tool as we plant churches. So the first thing, the first point, the gospel plants churches. So it, starts, it starts off, Peter preaches his message um, and then the response is, what must we do to be saved? Peter's reply, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he warned them and pleaded with them, and then 3,000 were added to their number that day. And that day, the church was born. 
the first church. Now, this is, this is um, no small deal. This is like all of the story of the Bible from the fall um, up through Jesus had been leading up to this point. Everything had been pointing to the birth of the church. And now they were there and they were the first members of this glorious thing that we are a part of, that we take for granted today. The glorious church, the bride of Christ, the glory of God himself, born. And how was it born? Because somebody preached the gospel. And it drew people together. Now, what the, the principle is simple. In order to plant churches, you need to make sure you get the gospel right. You need to strive and work hard to keep the gospel the gospel. And so not to let anything shift or change or warp it, but to make guarding the gospel and preaching the gospel and proclaiming the gospel the most glorious thing that you would do. And that's one of the reasons why elders are so important in a church congregation. The main priorities of an elder in a church to, to preach the gospel to guard the gospel, and to apply the gospel into every situation that we face. The gospel isn't just what we need to become Christians. The gospel is what we need to live as Christians. The gospel is what we need to, we need to go to when we're struggling as Christians. The gospel is where we find hope. The gospel is where we find strength. The gospel is everything. It's not the A, B, C of the Christian life. It's the A to Z. So, of course, getting the gospel right is important. And you might be thinking, did we really get Ben all the way from Sweden to say that? What a waste of a plane ticket. I get you. I said I'm simple. But the point is, you cannot take this for granted. You cannot take this for granted. And it's so easy to take this for granted when church is working well. When you're seeing people baptized every now and again, when visitors are coming to see you regularly and you're, and you're growing, or, or if you're just big enough that you don't maybe need growth. Yeah, we're quite comfortable, thank you very much. We don't need more people. Yeah, we've got the gospel, we're okay. But then, let me just warn you that Sweden, just a couple of generations ago, was one of the most missionary-sending nations in the world with one of the strongest evangelical churches in the world. They sent more missionaries out to, to the mission fields than any other nation in the world per capita. They loved sending missionaries out. And in two generations, that's all but gone. Two generations. But I said that Emily and I first saw the need the gospel in Sweden like something like 20 years ago, 20 years ago, we, we, we knew there was something wrong in Sweden, wrong in the state of Sweden. Okay. And since then, every single week, one evangelical church has closed down. That's 2,000 evangelical churches in 20 years. And the church in, the church in Sweden is in free fall. There was a report done just a couple of years ago where they were, they were well, the Free Church of Sweden gathered all their information together and the result of the, 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 the thing was the church is in crisis. We need to do something. Now, what's the temptation? 
when you see, when you see that happen? Well, what's kind of happening in, in Sweden is people say, well, the church is getting smaller. It's getting harder to bring people in. So what do we need to do? We need to, we need to look more like the world. We need to look more like them. What is the world's view on these things, these controversial issues? Well, they're not that big a deal, really, are they? Maybe we should just soften the corners. So instead of tightening up and saying, what's the gospel? What really matters? What do we need to hold on to above all else, even if we shrink and die doing so? They let go of it. You know what? That doesn't draw people in. If you look just like the world... Why would they bother coming anyway? And it's getting worse in Sweden right now. It's, it's, it's really sad. Like, almost every week when you read the Christian newspaper, which there is one, you hear about new churches that are, that are turning away from traditional views of marriage and embracing th- things that are just ungodly and claiming them to be godly happening all the time. So you can't take this for granted. The gospel plants churches. You need to hold on to the gospel, no matter what. But the other news about this is I found this to be really freeing good news when I really started to think about this. Because there I was thinking how... I don't know about church planting strategy. Yeah, I've read books on it, but I'm intimidated by church planting strategies. I don't really fully understand them. How how do I go about persuading people to become part of a church? But then realizing it's the gospel that plants the churches. It's not my. It was was like ah crumbs. It's freeing. I don't I don't need to worry about that. What I need to worry about is getting the gospel right, keeping the gospel right, and preaching the gospel right. Try to help people understand the gospel clearly as possible, and then leave the other stuff up to the Holy Spirit. Leave leave God to call his people. God is the one building his church, right? He's the one doing it. It's not me. I don't need to be impressive. I don't need to be cool. I don't need to wear the right clothes. I don't need to have the best Swedish accent. You know, let let me just tell you something. You're hearing me speak in English now, and this is this is wonderfully freeing for me. Wonderfully free. Because I'm, I'm, I'm not, I was never the best at languages in school. I was awful at languages. I would avoid doing French and Spanish. I hated it. So the fact that God would call me to cross-cultural ministry, I was going to say it's a joke. <laughs> but, it, but it's not a joke. It, it's, it's a sign of just how wonderful and strong God is in our weaknesses. God doesn't say, he doesn't pick the... the he doesn't always pick the, the best of us or, or to use the, the things that we think are our strengths. God often uses our weaknesses for his glory. And as I've fumbled my way through poor Swedish, and there has some, been some awful Swedish, there has been, right? People, people are coming. People are hearing the gospel. And people are responding. And it, it, it's just a wonderful reminder that it isn't me, it's the gospel that plants the church. I love these words, they've been such a blessing to me over the past few years in Sweden. When Paul writes in um, 
1 Corinthians uh, 2, 1 to 5. It says, when I came to you, I didn't come to you with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message was not with, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith would not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. You see how those words have been a massive encouragement to me in Sweden. I pray they'll be an encouragement to you. You don't need to be impressive. You don't need to be eloquent. You do need to hold on to the gospel. And you do need to preach the gospel. I don't have all the answers for the churches in Sweden. I don't have a master strategy for reaching the nation. I don't know how I can, I don't think I can turn all things around. I'm not the solution to the problem there in Sweden. But what I can do is preach the gospel in season and out of season. Now, it's out of season. God is still gathering his people. The gospel doesn't just create churches. It forms the culture of a church as well. So my next point, I think I said open homes, then open Bibles, but I'm going to go open Bibles first. So let's read verses 22 to 24. They themselves, um, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and that many wonders and signs were performed by the apostles. Would somebody mind getting me a a tissue or something? My nose is running a bit, but it would be really helpful. Thank you. I've had a bit of a cold while I've been here. Not been best timing. So this message to you is brought by what's American paracetamol? Tylenol. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. The sponsor. Have you ever had a sponsor before? No. Okay. Um, So they've received the gospel. They've responded to the gospel. They've got baptized. And the most natural thing now that they want to do is just spend time with each other. That they've all... Thank you very much. Yes, they've, um, they've, all become, they've all become the church. Um, they've heard the gospel. Now what they want to do is they, they want to spend as much as they can time soaking in the gospel more and more and more. Um, so, so they want to listen more and more to what the apostles have to teach and they devote themselves to it. Uh, and not, not, not just on a Sunday or, or on a Sabbath or whenever it was, they met at every opportunity to, to learn more and to celebrate this wonderful truth. They, they, were, they were a community gathered around the Bible. Whenever you see the, the, that phrase, apostles teaching, it's shorthand in the New Testament for, for, for really the teaching of the New Testament, uh, so, which we have as the New Testament. So, so they were learning ab- ab- about that. And, and they were seeing that the, the word make sense uh, as he performed signs and wonders among them. They, they were seeing God's word work before them. So it makes sense that the, that the gospel would create a community that gathers around the Bible. It creates a community that has deep trust in the word of God. So obviously, 
Bible and teaching the Bible needs to be a central part of planting churches. I've done it again, haven't I? You're thinking, what have we got him here for? One of the biggest problems in the, in the Church of Sweden over the past number of years, the thing that kind of probably led to, to, to the major decline in the, in the church um, was very likely a growing lack of confidence in the Word of God. Before Emily and I moved to Sweden, we, we traveled around Sweden um, for, 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 for a few weeks. We went on a special journey, and we, we met as many pastors as we could across the nation. And we asked them, what's going on here, do you think? And the answer we got back over and over again from all these different pastors was Swedish Christians just haven't read their Bibles for a very long time. And they don't really trust what they read. They don't know, they don't know how to read it. They've lost confidence in it. It's not just that, that, that lay people have lost confidence in the Bible. Many pastors have lost confidence in the Bible as well. They probably wouldn't necessarily say it that way, but it, but it, it showed up in how they would preach the Word of God. So the way that, I, I, you know, that we preach through the Bible, and I'm sure you probably do too, is you work through a book of the Bible. You kind of go through because you know that every word in the Bible is really, really important, and it makes sense, and as you read it in its context, you could understand it more, and it makes more sense, and it becomes alive. But the, 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 that isn't how sermons are done in Sweden. It's not been how ser- sermons have been done in Sweden for many, many years. It's more thematic messages. Now, I don't want to say that thematic preaching is wrong. I mean, that's kind of what I'm doing here, to be honest with you now. Thematic preaching can be really, really good. But it, it's really dangerous if that becomes your sole food in church on a Sunday. Well, why? Well, because thematic preaching basically comes out of my knowledge. It's about what I already know about what the Bible teaches and me looking to the Bible to back up what, I'm already, what I already think. Yeah? And it can be good if you've got a really solid Bible guy doing that. But as you lose confidence in the Word of God, if that's the way you approach it, then what you end up with is very kind of wishy-washy, empty, warm and fluffy messages that sound nice, but just don't bite. They don't connect. One of the reasons why I love um, preaching through the Bible expositionally, you know, working through passages, is because it's not about me being clever, trying to find new exciting things in the text that nobody's ever seen before. The job of the pastor is just to say, Look, this is what it says. You see it too? And you're not supposed to go away thinking that's so clever. You're supposed to go walk away thinking, I could have done that. That, that kind of is the purpose. But, but in Sweden, they've kind of lost that. So we came with this desire to, to purposefully put the Bible back front and center in everything we did. How do we do that in, 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 in Kung Shuk? Well, we model expository preaching. I do my best to exposit the Bible in Swedish. Um, and then to, we want to tr- train others to do so. Um, one of the, the, the main, main things I've been doing over the past few years is one-to-one Bible reading. And in my, this is my Swedish Bible. And in there, there's lots of bookmarks at the bottom. And each one of those represents a different Bible study that I'm doing with other people. And all we're doing is just reading the Bible together. That's all we're doing. And I do that with Christians and with non-Christians. It's a simple thing. Just read the Bible with people and ask a bunch of questions. Well, I have three, three words to help me read the Bible with people. Um, four. That's four. <laughs> That's four. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. 
Coma, context. What is the context of the passage? What's going on around it? Observations, let's, let's have a look at the text. Let's, see, let's make as many observations as we possibly can. What's going on here? Meaning, well, what, is all that, what, what does it mean? What is all this stuff saying? And then application, how does our life change as a result of what we read? Those, just to go through those, those four questions with the people as I read the Bible. And, and it's been wonderful. I, mean, I meet with Swedes for lunch or for breakfast uh, at different times of the day and seek to do that with people. Now, let me, let me tell you, if I could go back 20 years in my ministry, if I could go back to the beginning, I'd have just done that with people for 20 years. You know, I, I, would have, I would have said years ago that I really believed that the Bible was what, what people needed and the Bible was a really vital tool. And of course, I believed it, but I kind of, I think practically when I was doing my evangelism, I thought it was, it was just one tool among many. You know, so I'd have my evangelistic tool bag, my uh, apologetics tool bag over here. Then I'd have my outreach toolkit over here. And then I'd have my Bible and I'd, I'd pick and choose which one I thought was most useful. But I think a major mind change happened when I, when I sort of just started thinking about this was, no, actually, how does faith come? By hearing the word of Christ, right? So, so my, the best thing I can do as an evangelist is to, is to help people hear the word of Christ. To open it with them. Offer to open it with them and read it with them. Now, that doesn't mean there, there isn't a place for, for apologetics. Of course there is. It's a really useful tool. But for me now, it's like it's the thing that I'm using to help people get to the point where I can open this with them. Yeah? It, it, it's, it's a means to this end. So it's become much more cent central to, to, to everything that we do now. Um, so, uh, uh, yeah, but it's, it's not just that. It's, so it's Bible um, preaching. It's uh, reading the Bible one-to-one. -one. Um, it's also just, just little simple things like and when people come around for dinner, just read, read in a verse of the Bible before we, before we pray for the meal. So that people can see that the Bible is really important to us. So putting the Bible right in the middle of everything. And one of the most exciting things about being in ministry in Sweden is when you meet people, and you do meet people like this. I've met lots of people like this who've grown up in churches their entire lives have listened to a million sermons, maybe even been reading the Bible faithfully for years, and they come and they hear an ex exegetical sermon that's worked through the text, or they, they join in with one of those kind of simple Bible studies, and they go, that's what I've been missing for my whole life, and I didn't know it. I didn't know what it was. I want more of that. So exciting to see. It's also sad. There's a, a wonderful lady in our church called Inger, who's uh, our oldest member. Um, I won't embarrass her for saying how old she is, but she's, 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 she's been around a while. And um, she has, uh, one, of the, one, of the, one of the encouraging things that she would say to us was, my wife was, would, be, would be reading the Bible with her. They read through the book of Philippians a little while ago, and she saw things that she'd never seen before. And the wonderful thing was, that she never realized it was even possible to read the Bible and understand it for herself. She'd, can you imagine that? Faithfully reading the Bible every day and then just, just like going, well, I don't understand any of that. I'm just closing it up. And then now, she, now she's able to go, I can see that I can understand this now. 
What a glorious, wonderful thing that is. So we got the gospel plants churches, open Bibles. And the last thing I want to talk about is open homes. Let's read um, 44 to 47. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had a need. And every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying all the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They had everything in common. That's what I was talking about earlier on. They had the gospel in common, so they had everything in common. All the other things they had in, that they didn't have in common seemed like nothing compared to what they had now in common. Okay? But it wasn't just shared beliefs. It was shared lives. That they shared their stuff, their possessions. They met daily. They worshipped. They ate together daily. They spent time together. They shared each other's homes. They shared each other's lives. And this is the thing, the gospel creates a community that's gathered around the Bible, but it also creates a community of people who want to do life together, who, who want to connect with one another and support one another and grow with one another because they're family together in Christ. In Acts 2, we don't just have churchgoers we have a new family. And that's been my, that was my experience before I got saved. One of the many things that was attractive about Christianity was what I saw, what happened when, when real Christians who loved one another got together. It was contagious. I wanted to some of that. But it was also one of the things that really encouraged me afterwards. When things were difficult. That we adopted two children... Um, and the second time we adopted, like we had a, a, just adopted a baby, I had a really serious operation. Like within, within, within a few days of the baby coming home, I was um, you know, in hospital for, for two weeks, um, and then I was unable to do anything for like six months afterwards. And for six months, people at our church loved us and cared for us and brought us meals every single day. I don't know about you, I, I, I'm not Alaskan, I'm not Swedish, I cannot do this life alone. Maybe I could if I stripped everything else away, instead all that matters is me, but, it, but, if, but if instead I, I want to be about more than just me, if I, if I want to do the things that God's called me to do, it can't be done alone. It can only be done as part of a community, as a family that's loving and caring and giving to one another. And, you know, how do I respond now as a result of how people have loved me? I just want to love people. When someone's sick, the first thing that comes to my mind and to my wife's mind is, can we cook them a meal? Can we take something around? What can we do for them? Because when we needed that, people did that for us. So when we were going to Sweden, we were thinking, well, that's what we need to do. We need to have an open home. The problem is, in Swedish culture, that doesn't really go down so well, okay? Swedes, um, like I said earlier on, they're hyper-individualistic. Hyper they, 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 they talk about hospitality, but they talk, they talk about it in a different way to, to what I'm describing here. Hospi it's, it's, more, it's more of an idea of entertaining versus hospitality. 
when someone comes around for dinner, it's something you plan three months in advance, and you polish all the silverware, wear your best clothes, cook the finest meal you possibly can. Everything is perfect. And then they come, and you have a lovely time. If it goes well, you book another one in for the next three months at your friend's house. Okay, and they return the favor. And it, they do do that really, really well, by the way. It's really, really good. But that's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about messy, sharing lives and, and just pulling people in. And the Swede, Swedes wouldn't, wouldn't, you wouldn't think this maybe, but in Sweden there are a lot of lonely people. A lot of lonely people. Really sad statistics. Absolutely like 25% of all Swedes die alone. Not because they don't have friends or family around, but because they don't want to, they don't think they need to call them. Ask them to come and hold their hand as they pass away. Really sad. And we want to demonstrate something in the way we do church. It challenges that. Sweden says, we don't want it. Stay away. But we say, no, the Bible tells us you need it. It's not good for man to be alone. So what do we do? We, we've opened our home. And we've done something called open house every Thursday night um, for nearly four years. We have missed a few, depending on various things. But we just invite anyone and everyone into our home. And we cook for a lot of people. We have no idea how many people are going to turn up. We invite everyone we meet from church or from anywhere else. And we started doing that in COVID. Okay, we weren't allowed to have people in our homes, so we, we were allowed to have them in our garden. So we had an open garden instead. And by the end of the first summer, we had between 20 and 40 Swedes coming to have dinner with us every Thursday night. It's kind of, the numbers have gone down a little bit since after COVID ended. But it just demonstrated just that there is a need. There is a hunger that people have. And it's contagious. And it draws people to the gospel. If I could go, again, if I could go back 20 years, I would start doing, I would have done that every Thursday for the past 20 years. A wonderful place to invite people. A, a, a place to see church in action maybe before they come to church for the first time even. An easy place to invite people. They come along, eat a meal together, five-minute Bible, because we want to open the Bible, yeah? And then, um, and, and then just see how the Lord will gather people through that. Now, ah, my time's gone. See, church planting really is for dummies. Get the gospel right. Hold on to that. Don't let it go. Fight to keep it. And will you be brave enough to open your homes, open your Bibles with people? Now, I don't know what your future holds, um, but I am excited about it. You know, you might be thinking, well, what's, what's it going to look like when we start church planting? Um, in one sense, you, already, you have already started church planting. Uh, because there's now, there's a church in Sweden which is a little bit stronger because you are supporting us. And in, in, in a sense, we're, we're church planting in Alaska as we seek in, in our own small ways to support and encourage you. And I'm looking forward, I don't know when it's going to be, to coming back here and seeing 
what God is going to do through you. And you might think, I'm not in, how could I be involved in church planting? Remember, you don't need to be impressive. Trust the gospel. I need to keep moving forward. Thank you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and we praise you for, for the wonders of church planting, the, the joy of being a part of this, your global mission. And we pray, Lord, that you'd help us all to, to think about how could we, even in, in small ways in our own lives, apply some of the things we've learned about, we've thought about today? Who could we invite who's lonely? Who could we encourage who's struggling? Who could we open the Bible with who needs to see truth? How can we hold on to the gospel? In Jesus' name, amen.